You are listening to Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you would like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. There's many times in in new beginnings, there's uh, mixed emotions that come into a year like this. So you look back and you can think of all the awesome things that happened and and then then your mind is often flooded with all really hard things as well. And and I do say we often tend to to remember the hard things more so than just the fun things and the blessings we often put aside as as not as big of a deal and and those tough things were the things that are often central in our minds, at least for me often that can be the way it is. And I'm just wondering how you're doing today. How are you feeling? Uh, this brand new year, 2022, uh, it's exciting. There's a, there's a whole lot of promise and excitement about the future. Every time in a new year, though, there's a whole lot of unknown, right? A whole lot of things that we, we're not really sure what to do about, uh, whether it's in our own family, our own spiritual lives, our walks, our communities, our country, whatever it might be. Um, and so today, uh, I, I just wanted to kind of start off with us kind of considering that, thinking through what the new year might bring. And then we're gonna be getting into today in Psalm 23, actually. We're gonna be taking a break for one week out of our Hebrew series. And I'm gonna be finishing Psalm 23. I, I began with this message a little over a month ago when we began Advent. Uh, we started with, with Psalm 23, and I had 10 observations for you, and in classic pastor fashion, uh, we got through four of them. So, uh, no, sorry, I think maybe five. I'll give myself 50-50. But I had said that at the beginning that we might do a part two of this. So we're gonna be kind of focusing on the second part of uh, Psalm 23 today, so I'm excited to get into that. But I did want us to just consider as a church and as a community, as we think through uh, coming to this table at the end of the service that we're gonna be coming around and gathering as a mark, really, beginning of each month, but here specifically, the beginning of a new year. It's gonna bring a lot of new things. And I know in my heart, there's a lot of times in the new year where I feel as if I've, I've got to um, keep up with everything, right? And this is the time for change. Like, what's your New Year's resolution, right? Is there, has anyone asked that? Anyone set New Year's resolutions for yourself yet? Um, for me, I often think of those things, I'm going to do this and do that, and those are gonna be awesome, gonna be really good, can be helpful to have that fresh slate a clean kind of fresh beginning where we aim to hit some goal in our life and that can be really healthy and be really good but then it also can be kind of defeating at times you know you've been, you've been there how many new year's resolutions have you not met right and so you're just like well I don't even want to set any this year I don't even care so but I, I don't know where you are but I was reading yesterday um, about uh, speaking about the church today in the modern world and it was uh, a, a book on this topic and it was talking about the two words that I found fascinating. This is totally free for you, by the way. I'm just making this up as I go. But this is uh, the two words that was speaking into was this word of change and the, words trans- and the word transformation. And, and I found them very fascinating because he said today in, in the modern world, everybody is pushing you constantly to change all the time, right? Reinvent yourself, change, 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 do this, do that. And this new year is all about change. What are you gonna change in your life, okay, right? Uh, and, and so he said that often that can creep into the church and even our own spiritual lives that I'm always thinking about all the things I need to change because I'm not who I am supposed to be, right? And, uh, and yet change, he said, often comes from within. We feel as if we have to be self-made people and we need to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and change our lives for the better. And, and that can be a good motivation. In fact, often change is needed. But sometimes I think that word has and carries with it, at least for me, a sense of, of self 
motivated change, which can be good for a time and then at times feel very tiring, right? As you're trying to keep up the energy and the speed. And when you look at around, everyone else is changing faster than you and you gotta keep up with everybody, right? Change of the times. But he was saying a more Christian way or more biblical way of looking at maybe a new year or New Year's resolution is really this word transformation. And I found it interesting. I hadn't really considered it. For, for me, it, change and transformation seem very similar, but he was saying the idea of transformation often comes and is really what the Christian life is all about, spiritual transformation, which comes from the outside in. That God is the one who transforms us and gives us, and we enter into that spiritual transformation through grace, and we receive it as a gift. It's not always something that we just motivate ourselves to do more of. Although I would imagine that is part of the motivation as well, that there is this sense of partnership there in that. So I'm not gonna get deep into that, but my sense is, is just sometimes I have this overwhelming feeling of I'm not doing enough and I need to do more and I, there's something that's gotta change. And uh, for me, I, I've been thinking through that idea of transformation. How, how is it that I can receive uh, the Holy Spirit in a way that allows God to fully transform me and receive it as a gift and, and walk in his grace? And that will empower transformation in your life this coming year. And so that just with that thought, that was totally free, um, but I hope that is something that gives you a sense too of what's going on with me and what I'm thinking through. Of Lord, how can you transform our communities and transform my life and my family and who I'm supposed to be in God's sight and walk in that by his grace. And so let's pray uh, to begin. I thank you, Lars, for lifting up the uh, the people, the, the church in our, in our community, but I just wanted to pray to open up this, uh, this passage here in Psalm 23. Let's pray. Father, we, we think uh, in this moment, uh, as we stand here, as we sit together here as a community, we, we're in 2022 now, and we look back, and at least for me, I, I look back and I think of all the things that happened and yet all the blessings, God, that we were able to receive, and there's so many things I just, I'm praising you, Father, for you, have wi- you were with us every step of the way. You've never left us, you've never forsaken us, Lord, we sang earlier, you have not failed me yet, right? And you will never fail us. And so we, we walk in faith today. We walk in faith. We believe you, we trust you. And Lord, sometimes we don't always see where to step and where to go, but Lord, we pray that we would get to know you in a way, have a relationship with you this year that spills out into our life with such wisdom, with such knowledge, with such understanding that we can walk through the very confusing world that we find ourselves in today. And yet I'm so thankful that even today on a dreary, rainy, cold day that we can be together. (laughs) These people can put a smile on my face. They can encourage each other We can bear one another's burdens. We can gather, link arms, and and come together and and encourage one another in this life. And we're so thankful, Father, that we can be together. We can can have that camaraderie as your church, as your your body, as one church together. Uh, May you be glorified today in all that is and all that we participate in here, even in this service. And um, we thank you, God, for, for the good gifts that you pour out on your children. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, this is kind of a, again, I think a good timing for this, um, for this service. 
the first Sunday of, of 2022. We're gonna look at Psalm 23 as it is in a way, I, I want us to think through this way of a, you know, in, in 2022, how can we have the Lord as our shepherd? How can he be our guide? How can he lead and guide us through all that life might bring our way? This year, so Psalm 23 again, a very familiar passage, and it's something like I said that I've read many times in my lifetime. But I wanted to spend some time over the last message and over this one, just really focusing on more of the details of this chapter. It's a beautiful passage, probably next to John 3:16, might be the most well-known passage in all of the Scripture to both the church and the unchurch. Psalm 23 is very well known. So let's, let's read uh, Psalm 23, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Psalm 23, we have today 10 observations uh, for you. I'm I'm gonna just kind of do a, a speed round of the first couple so that you will be a little bit better reminded from our last time we went through this. And number one was shepherd. Shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we, we looked at that word, the Lord is Yahweh, ultimately the great I am. God, Yahweh, both great and powerful and creator, but also personally our God, Lord, my shepherd. We looked at the word shepherd is how important that is really for the whole theme of this, that shepherd is a theme throughout the Bible. There's so many different main characters, you could say, of the, script, of the story of the Bible that are found to be shepherds. Abel and Abraham and Lot and Isaac and Jacob and, and Jacob's 12 sons, including Joseph himself, Moses and David and Amos and then Jesus Christ in John 10 refers to himself, I am the good shepherd, he says. And then in the New Testament after that, in Acts and beyond, in the pastoral epistles, uh, the, the leaders of the church are, are called shepherds or pastors. And so these elder shepherds are ultimately the, the people who are, are called to lead the church. And so, so this personal sense though that, that this shepherd that we experience in Psalm 23 is my shepherd. David is saying this, this shepherd, although he is very akin to this imagery of shepherd, he himself was a shepherd boy, but then he knows what it's like to have a shepherd, that God is his shepherd, a personal, very personal passage here in Psalm 23. And, and so if God is our shepherd, and that makes us something that is to be led by a shepherd and that we are his sheep. And you know, we talked about this idea of what, what a sheep is like, you know. Not necessarily the most glamorous animal of all, right? Not super powerful, strong, or smart, or intelligent, right? Or, uh, it's not something that you fear, or like a lion of Judah that we sang about earlier, right? It's a shepherd. But, but in some ways, Jesus refers to himself like that as a shepherd, but he also says, I am the lamb, right? A very opposing picture that he's the lion of Judah but he's the lamb of God. His humility that he gives of himself as a sacrifice for us. That we are the, shep- we are the sheep of his pasture. We, all, we like sheep have gone astray. Yet Jesus our shepherd is the one who leads us. We, as John 10 says, we, uh, as, as his sheep, we know 
his voice. Remember that we looked at this sense of when he speaks, we respond to the voice of Jesus and we know that voice and he loves the sheep that he goes after the one that is lost. He leaves the 99 to pursue the one. It's the love of the good shepherd. And then number two, we looked at the idea of presence, uh, this, this idea that I shall not want. Really the whole psalm I think is about this very passage right here, this I shall not want. This, this presence, it's, it's about his presence, not absence. That, that, that want is the sense of that something is missing. There's an absence of something that I need and so I want something that I do not have. Other translations say, uh, instead of I shall not want, it says, I shall not be in lack. It's mean I have no lack. I have everything I need. I have the presence of God. He is with me. That is, bring, gives me contentment. It is all that I need. I do not want, right? I, there are no wants in my life like the children are supposed to be the day after Christmas, right? They have no wants, but they've received everything they need, and yet if your children are like me, the day after Christmas they come and say, Dad, I'm bored. I'm like, okay, kid, right, you know? You can't be bored the day after Christmas, right? You've just received all that you have ever dreamed of, right? And yet we feel as this, there's always this sense of, I need this, I want that, and yet, as we're gonna close the service even of today, we're gonna be singing, give me Jesus, like the whole world, but give me Jesus. If, if that's all we need, that, that's really what Christmas is all about. Um, and it was a, a few weeks ago, my wife was um, in my daughter's <laughs> kindergarten class and she was uh, doing a little thing where she was giving presents and helping out with them and helping out the teacher and doing a little Christmas party. And uh, she was telling them about, you know, what are you guys excited to get for Christmas? You know, Christmas, you get presents, you get to give presents, you know, all these things. And one of the little boys in the kindergarten class, uh, he raised his hand and he said, well, excuse me, Christmas is not about presents. It's about God's presence. And, and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. But, you know, in that moment, you're like, okay, kid, all right, dude, you know, just relax, right? You know, it's just, you get presents, it's not a big deal. But, you know, you spiritualize everything. But I was like, wow, that kid's uh, pretty good right there, right? It's not about presents, right? It's about God's presence, right? And as silly as that, to be chided and reminded from a kindergartner, but uh, it happens, right? But, but that idea is so important. That this is really, I think, what the whole psalm is about, God's presence that he's with us, and he leads us, he guides us, and he is all we need. And that allows us to live without want. And so the focus of the theme, I believe, is on this idea of God's presence. And Charles Spurgeon says, I shall not want, come what may. If famine should devastate the land or calamity destroy the city, I shall not want. Old age with its feebleness shall not bring me any lack, and even death with its gloom shall not find me destitute. I have all things and abound, but because I have a good, but not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have the skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. The wicked always want, but the righteous never. A sinner's heart is far from satisfaction, but a gracious spirit dwells in the palace of the content. Contentment, I shall not want. Number three was rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures where we find rest for our souls. The green pastures, the still waters, the place where we can be at peace, where we can actually lay down to sleep, where we can actually find ourselves not always wondering or worrying or, or nervous tension, you know, but actually just rest. 
I was talking to some people who were on long road trips recently around vacation and stuff, and I can remember doing that where you're on a long drive, and as a man, you're trying to drive as long as you can until, like, I, I can't do this anymore. And so I'm like, all right, I'd, so Jamie and I would switch. Jamie would take over and drive. And I don't know about some of you, how you feel about sleeping. Can you sleep when your wife is driving the car, right? That, that shows your level of trust, does it not, huh? Some of you are very, like, you know, I never let anyone else drive, right? And uh, I'm very trusting, well, at times. But I can remember, you know, you're like, you've been driving so long, then you go to sit, and then you're just always like, oh, you know, every moment you're just kind of, you're not trusting, and so you can't fall asleep, because you keep, like, leaning over, you're like, oh, and she, she would be like, would you just rest and relax? I got this, right? And so, finally, you know, I can get to the point where you trust and you relax and you let someone else drive. But I think in so many ways, as a sheep, was he makes us lie down in the green pastures, we can actually come to a place where we can actually trust him, that he's going to lead us there, protect us where we are, and we can rest in his presence. Matthew eleven twenty eight: come to me, all you who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Resting in God's presence has a lot to say about our trust in the one who is leading us in that place, and our faith in who he is, and how we trust him to be refreshed in this place of rest. So that's number four, is refresh. He restores my soul. This refresh, we looked at the word um, soul there, that word's for soul, in the Hebrew is nefesh. So I said refresh my nefesh, refresh my soul. He, he restores my soul. Nefesh carries with it the sense of the very life, the very breath in our lungs, the very life-giving spirit that's within us, but yet it's also a very physical thing. For to commit murder in the Old Testament speaks about claiming or stealing someone else's nefesh, that you are claiming, you're killing and slaying their body, but you're taking their soul. This is a refreshing that God gives us, though, within it's an inward refreshment that spills out into the physical, that we find ourselves hungering and thirsting for God. My soul from very within hungers for God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. We seek true and lasting refreshment and restoration that's found in him and him alone. Jesus says in the New Testament in like manner, he says like, I am the bread of life, you know. If you take of me, that is where you will find that you will never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We find true refreshment and restoration for our very soul and our entire being is found in God. The good shepherd nourishes our soul, but the good shepherd also leads us, it says in the next one. Number five is, is ultimately the map, right? He, he leads us, because without, without a leading, without a guide, we find ourselves lost and without direction. And I, I know today, for those of us who are younger, we, we, um, we, we are very comfortable using GPSs on our phone, and today the feeling of being lost is probably a lot more uncommon than it used to be, right? I mean, I can even remember as, as young or old as I am, depending on what, you know, where you are at at that level, right? I can even remember like, those old GPS garments that you'd stick and sometimes in, in your car, right? And sometimes it wouldn't really connect and you would be lost. Or even before that, you had to MapQuest stuff and print it out and if you missed one of the things, you felt lost. 
And then before any of that, you had to use one of those giant atlases and find your way to point A to point B, right? You know? Right? <laughs> so you're like, amen to that. But nowadays, you, you go anywhere and you just, how do I get from here to there? Boom, boom, boom. You pump it in and you pop it in and it takes you from, uh, from your starting point to your destination, no problem. Unless you're like me and you find yourself uh, far off in a distant dead zone in New Ipswich, where it's some of the worst and darkest places of all the entire world. <laughs> and <laughs> the scariest places I've ever been where I find myself in New Ipswich and my phone is completely dead and I have no idea how to get from one place. So I have felt that recently, but it's only there uh, for some reason. Uh, I don't know what that means, but... Um, yeah, they, that feeling of being lost, I think maybe was a common thing maybe several years ago, but today I'm like, I, you know, the feeling of not knowing where I am is just so far and beyond is we just have a phone that always tells us where we're at. But I think this sense, if you can think back of what it would mean to have someone to lead you and guide you in the paths of righteousness, or maybe you're on that long road trip and there's someone for you to follow you know, hey, you don't know how to get there? Hey, just follow me, right? And all of a sudden, the ease and the rest and the peace that comes when you're able to just follow someone else on the road. Wherever they go, you're gonna go. What a blessing it is to know that you have a leader, you have one who knows the way, you have one who's been there before. Because we as sheep, we tend to wander. We're not really sure where we're supposed to be or where we're headed. And the sheep, we tend to wander in a classic hymn written in 1862, He Leadeth Me. He says, He leadeth me, oh blessed thought. What a blessing to have someone to lead you, right? Oh, words with heavenly comfort from whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leads me. He leadeth me. Like sheep, we go astray, and yet we are lost without a shepherd. And yet the good shepherd is not one that gently, that, that comes and not <laughs> aggressively twists our arm and makes us, but in a sense, gently guides and leads. He doesn't forcibly demand. He bids us to come and follow him. I think in this following, we, we get the sense of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower in the way, for Jesus bids us to follow him as a disciple along the pathway of life. It's the most common way to describe life in the Bible, Old Testament and New, is a path. You'll see it hundreds and hundreds of times throughout scripture, especially in Psalms and the poetic literature in the Bible. You find a pathway, a way in which we are trying to find a map, a direction, a guide, a way to go. Often I've been listening to podcasts and reading the book of Proverbs a decent amount recently and it speaks into this concept that life, uh, looking in for the wisdom, you're, you're always looking for wisdom to know about which path to take and yet it likens in Proverbs many times that wisdom is more of a person to be known than just a door to be opened like right or left or something. But often wisdom is getting to know Jesus and having a relationship with the God of the universe and as you develop a relationship with him, you gain a wisdom to navigate the very complicated nature of life especially in 2022 when the world seems to be changing at a rate and a pace that none of us feel as if we can keep up. Wisdom is it's more of a pathway of following Jesus, our leader and our guide, of getting to know him and his character and his nature. And when we learn to follow who Jesus is, we can apply that in any cultural context that we find ourselves in and whatever situation that might, might be, for he gives the wisdom that we need. He is the map, you could say. The map, the way uh, the directions that our shepherd gives us. He leads us beside still waters, green pastures, and yet we all know what's coming. 
Number six is the shadow, for we also find that this guide, this leader, this good shepherd will also take us to the shadow lands, as C.S. Lewis says, the shadow lands, the, the shadow of death, the place that nobody really wants to go through, yet we always dread and think through, and yet this passage is often read around funeral times in situations of mourning and loss because of this passage is so, so encouraging, I believe. And yet as we encounter it, can be difficult for us to consider the shadow lands of what that means to walk through it. Uh, James Montgomery, Montgomery Boyce says this, it is important to note that the valley of the shadow of death is as much God's right path for us as the green pastures which lie beside quiet waters. That is, the Christian life is not always about tranquil things, nor as we say, a mountaintop experience, though those may come. God also gives us valleys and it is in the valleys with the trials and dangers where we develop Christ-like character. And I, I like in this passage that it, that it says, though, even though, even though like this is, this is going to happen and even though currently it's like David feels as if he's in that valley right then when he's writing, he says, even though I walk. I like that. I don't remember if you, as a kid if you remember going into a dark room or into a dark place and you just had to run through it, right? Because it's dark. You just run, get through it as quickly as you can, you know? Even though it's hard, you're like, I gotta, I'm scared and I gotta find the, find the light to turn it on as quickly as I can. Here's, there's a presence of, of a simple walking. To me, it gives a sense of confidence, of not being afraid when you can walk and not panic that that gives a sense of faith and trust in the one who's leading you. For there is a hope beyond the valley, and so we walk, but not we just stay, but we walk through. Our hope is not a, a, a clutching and a grasping onto the life in front of the valley, but rather one that knows that you will pass through that valley at some point in your life. And as we pass through, maybe it's from death into life, or maybe it's through a trial, or whatever that uh, shadow of death means for you, we do recognize that we come out on the other side and we step into the sunlight again, as it'll say in the next passage, really, as it gives us the sense of blessing and abundant living. It's, but I, I, I like this thought of, uh, as I can, I, for many times, for some reason, as writing this passage, my mind keeps going back to my childhood in different times, and I don't know if some of you have been, uh, or been camping, or you've been out in the woods on a beautiful sunny day, and I can still picture it. We would often camp on uh, DCA's campus there in Dublin, and there's a pond, and then back that, there's like 100 acres of land that we would go back and camp as kids, and we would often bring and carry all our stuff into there on our own, and there's a field that you walk through, and then eventually you reach the edge of the woods, right? You've been there, and you can, I can imagine it in my head. I'm picturing this beautiful, like, August, summer, sunny day. The grass is up to your hips, you know, and so you're trying to walk through this thick field. It's hot. It's blazing sun. You reach the edge of that wood and there's a marked difference when you enter it. Have you done that? You're in that hot field and you step into the shadow and all of a sudden it totally changes. Even the sound is different. It's more muted. Uh, the thick woods and the, the shade that you're walking in, it's cooler, it's darker. And it, for a moment it's almost hard to see because it's such a different bright sun in your eyes and then immediate the shade of the shadow. And yet as you walk through that deep dark forest, it might be cold and maybe even at times scary because it seems as if you can't see as far, but the sun, you're reminded, still shines outside that canopy of trees. The sun has not changed, though the difference of where you find yourself has changed. 
And I'm reminded in this passage, we're reminded that even as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. Remember this passage is about his presence, not his absence. He is with us, God's presence, the Holy Spirit as we experience it today. As Jesus has gone and ascended and sits at the right hand, we experience the presence of God right now through the Holy Spirit. His spirit, his presence will never leave us, never forsake us, and we trust him as we walk through this valley of darkness that we will emerge in, in graciousness, in the Son of God, in, in, as, he, as he shines out, we walk following him every step of the way. It's in that valley, though, that there might be fear. There might be uh, that, that, that twinge inside of us that causes us to doubt, that wants us to run and escape. But I'm reminded by the passage, I think it's in Proverbs, where it says, the wicked flee when no one pursues them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And there's courage. That's number seven. Courage. I think this is a word that we need so much today. It's a word that I've been thinking about a lot recently that, that in, this, in this shadow of death that it says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He is with us. His presence is there. And I think to myself, is this even possible? Is that, is that possible to live in such a way where you could say, I fear no evil because God is with me. And sometimes I think, well, David's just pulling our chain here, man. He can't, you know. But here, to live with courage, yes, to, to, to operate in such a way that, that the answer to the fear that you have in your life is the courage to understand and trust that the presence of God is with you. That his presence is with us. And I think James Boyce hits it right on the head that he says, we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. Is it not? At times I I look back and I remember those difficult valleys, but it's at those moments where I'm forced in such a way to trust the presence of God and to trust his promises and to be drawn closer to him than I ever was before in the sunny field that I walked easily among the daisies, right? Frolicked in the field, but it's in those valleys where I find myself completely aware of the presence of God. And that's where I find myself maturing and growing in greater ways than I ever had before. Because it's in those times, it's in those times of pressure where, it, where we find it's in the, it's in the fire where the, the gold is refined. It's in those places of, of how God works and uses these things in our life that he does not waste our suffering. He does not waste the darkness in the shadowlands. He does not waste any of it. He uses it all to refine you, to mature you, to grow your faith, to trust in him more and in ways you hadn't done before. It's in those valleys that we ought to be able to thank him for. And maybe in the moment we, we don't, but we can look back and be grateful for what he did and how he taught us and how ultimately in that valley of the shadow of death, it's not one that leads and guides us without having gone there before. In fact, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter two, I think it's verse nine, where it says that he tasted death for us. He tasted death for everyone. And so in a sense, that shadow of death, God has gone before us in the New Testament understanding of this. We see that Jesus is the forerunner on our behalf. He has gone and leads us through that shadow because he himself has been there. He himself has gone through that. And it's in that shadow as he leads us, we don't enter that, that place in a way that is, we don't enter this valley unarmed or without a map for he leads us and guides us. He's been there before and we don't enter it unarmed for he has his rod and his staff to protect and defend us to lead us into this hard time and yet to protect us and to ensure our safety as we emerge. Matthew Henry, a great commentator, says it is a walk through it 
They shall not be lost in this valley, but get safe to the mountain on the other side. Death is a king of terrors, but not to the sheep of Christ. When they come to die, God will rebuke the enemy. He will guide them with his rod and sustain them with his staff. There is enough in the gospel to comfort the saints when dying, and underneath them are the everlasting arms of God. His rod protects us. His staff guides and directs us. He does this because he is a loving and good shepherd, the shepherd of our souls. And it is our faith in the good shepherd that drives us to these final three points that gives us this sense of the narrative of this psalm switches and shifts. The metaphor changes from a shepherd who is leading and guiding and protecting his sheep in the darkness to emerging out of that wooded area, to emerge from that edge and step into a field and yet we find that in that field as we step into the sunlight, what, is, what do we see in verse five? We see the eighth point here is, is a feast. A feast is waiting for us, look at it. It says in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. It's what a marked change and difference from the shadows and the protection and a rod and a staff to boom. A different change here where we have this complete shift and there's now a host inviting you to take a seat and dine with him at his table. Uh, a gracious host. A good shepherd turns here now, kind of shifts the metaphor to a gracious host. Yes, though surrounded by enemies, David might have felt that at himself when he's writing this, to, to speak and see and feel as if his enemies are surrounding him and harassing him, but David's enemies are ultimately powerless to stop God. <laughs> they couldn't stop God from blessing David. They couldn't. They could do nothing. God says, sit at my table and let me bless you. Let me anoint your head with oil, with joy and gladness. Oil is often a picture of this joy and this anointing of God and the blessing of God. And then here with this cup that is just overflowing, it's this abundant provision. See, David's enemies, though might have been surrounding him, they could not stop God's blessing. They couldn't do anything about it. He was resting and partaking. He was sitting at the table. And I thought about that word there, the table. I hadn't thought about it much. This is actually one of the verses that I often tend to skip over, thinking about more of verse six. And, and yet it's verse five that just struck me, this idea of a table. And it's what we're gonna be coming to in a moment. There's so much done around a table. I mean, a table can be used uh, to be, you could have a, a war preparations as one enemy sits on one side of the table and another enemy sits on the other table and they're trying to sign treaties of war or declarations or making this kind of thing. You could have a lawyer's table where there's angst and arguments happening around a table. You could have a table that we use proverbially as a statement. Well, it was an empty table. There was nobody there. There was nothing to be had. It was empty. But that is not the kind of speak that we get here in verse five speaking about this table. It is a table that is implied here that the host invites you to sit down on this rich, abundant blessing, this feast of a table, kind of like your Christmas dinners or your New Year's Eve feast, whatever it might be. Or as the Grinch said, he, the roast beast, right? <laughs> as, the, as we feast, 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 as Dr. Seuss says. This, this idea of a table that is prepared for us, it is a blessing, it is full of food, it is a feasting of God's abundance and provision. And he invites us, he bids us come, sit at the table, he welcomes us to the table. That is an incredible statement to consider that the God of creation welcomes us, you and me, to sit at his table. I was studying this passage this week and I 
heard on the radio, I think it was, uh, maybe it was, I don't remember where I heard it, but it was on the, a song by Sidewalk Prophets, Prophets. it's uh, Come to the Table. Have you heard of that? It says this, come to the table. Come join the sinners who have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. Come to the table. But who sits at the table? People who deserve to sit at the table. (laughs) No, he says, to the thief and to the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, to the young and to the older, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and the princes, all who fail and who've been forgiven, all who dream and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all who have been labeled right or wrong to everyone who hears this song, come to the table. Come join the sinners you have been redeemed. Take your place beside the Savior. Sit down and be set free. What a beautiful picture and statement and reality of the grace of God that we walk in that transforms our understanding of who we are in his sight, that we can sit down and be free amidst all the pressures and sorrows and shadows of death that surround us. We can sit at the table of God and feast of his anointing, of his power, and his blessed abundance. And it's because he gives and he seeks to be a gracious host and prepare a place for us to enjoy forever. And that's what leads us into our final two points. Number nine is chase. Chase because it's this abundance that we enjoy and yet it has a sense of it isn't um, limited. It's not the sense of this is going to run out. Do you know, I always love Christmas, but the day after Christmas can be like, oh man, you know? Although some of you who are like, yeah, I can't wait to get beyond it, right? You're like, yeah, this is great. Back to normal life. But sometimes it's like this sense of advent that we lead up to Christmas and then, oh, it's over. The kind of the letdown. New Year's Eve, yay, it's here. All right, go to bed, we're all tired, right? You know? But that's the sense here that is richly enjoying the blessing and the provision of God that has no limit because it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That means here on this earth, the days of your life and the life that is to come, the eternal life that God provides. And I've likened this idea to a chase because I just find it funny. The thing, you know, you're driving down the road and, and when we feel like we're being chased by something, it's usually the blue lights, right? Where you're like, blue, and you're like, oh my goodness, I gotta pull over. The police are chasing me. Or some of you in your younger days might try to outrun the police, right? And you're being chased. And the word chase often revolves around something bad. Something bad that is chasing you. But here it says something amazing. Something good is chasing you and will follow you the rest of your life. Not a bad reputation that follows you. God's reputation. The word here is goodness. It's that word we've looked at over this last year quite a bit. It's the word tov, goodness. That goodness, tov, God's goodness, when he says it is good, that is what follows you and chases you your life. It is something he promises will chase you in this life and the life that is to come. I found this interesting because I like to watch um, nerd uh, shows like on Discovery about like archaeology and stuff, right? And uh, there's one the other day on the pharaohs of Egypt. And we know the pharaohs are buried often in the middle in the center of those pyramids in Egypt and Cairo. You've seen those, right? And they're the massive pyramids. But today, uh, it's fascinating because they've actually never found any of the pharaohs' sarcophaguses or mummies inside of those massive pyramids. They built these humongous pyramids in order to build these great and powerful um, uh, 
these pharaohs and bury them in the center of those and yet uh, they made a fortress around it to try to protect it and yet that couldn't stop them. Uh, they built these huge monuments to their death and yet the robbers came in and robbed not only the caskets and the pharaohs and, and yet all the wealth that surrounded them. For in those great burial chambers, they were surrounded by gold and precious silvers and jewels and all kinds of weaponry and armaments and, and, and treasures. And yet when we go to find them outside of like King Tut's, which is pretty much the only one, almost every single one of them has been completely robbed and decimated and left dusty and bare. And they did all of that, surrounded themselves because they believed that they would take those things into the afterlife with them. They would bring all their stuff and all their valuables into the eternal afterlife with them and yet we know none of that chased them into the afterlife. It all left them and ended with them at that moment. And then other people come in and steal or it becomes rusted out and all yet the life we found in Jesus, the life we find in God is his goodness, his graciousness, his mercy. In fact, the next word mercy is steadfast love. It is his hesed love, his mercy, his loving kindness. These are the things that will follow us. These are the things that, that cannot be taken. They cannot be rusted. They cannot be destroyed and they cannot be stolen. They will follow you and they will chase you for the rest of your life. That's exactly what I want following me. God's goodness and his forgiveness and his mercy and his salvation and his grace. That's the things that we um, put our, all of our chips on the table and that's where we put our wager in is that God's goodness will follow us. And then we follow us where? Well, in the last point, number 10, it will follow us home, home. Again, I was talking to some people about traveling or some of you are traveling and going to all different places and as we travel, yet we, we all know the feeling of what it's like to come home again. It's like the best feeling in the world, right? Where you've been on that plane or wearing this or going there and having to pack this and kids are crying and then finally you come home and there is a dwelling place where you can rest and be at home in. You can be yourself in. This is what is spoken of here in this passage that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and even in the end, I will dwell in the house, in the home of God, Yahweh, forever. Number 10, home and I think the key point is here as he begins that it is ultimately God is our shepherd, the Lord is our shepherd, it is his presence, right? It's his presence where we find that we um, uh, have all that we need and in the end of this psalm we find ourselves in the presence of God dwelling with him in his home in openness as a family with the picture in mind of sitting around a table partaking of rich food together and the blessing and the inheritance of God's goodness and mercy, our cups are running f uh, over, are bubbling over, overflowing with goodness, and it is in that place that we dwell with him forever. Revelation speaks of it in a variety of different pictures and metaphors, but of a new heaven and a new earth in a way where there will be no more tears, no more crying and sorrow, but eternal life and goodness and mercy will flow like rivers from the throne room of God. And it's in that blessing and it's in that place in the house of God that we find our eternal resting place will be <laughs> as we richly enjoy all that he has to prepared for us. A, a mansion with many rooms, a place that he's preparing this sense is where we long to be, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwelling and being at home with God, reconciled together with him. And it's in that that we come before a banquet table which is what we do here even at the end. We come before a table, as we're gonna all partake here in a moment. We invite you in that same way as we spoke about earlier to come before the table, come to the table.
as we take of the, the, the bread and we take of the, the juice and we, we pass of them and we give them out and we partake together, yes, in a different way. That I know your meals aren't like this, maybe buffet style or something, right? But this sense of taking together, partaking around a table is a picture that we will experience in a way forever, for eternity. We come to the table as a family, and when a family sits down at the table, yes, we have our differences, we have our problems, we have our, our areas in which we have, we have hurt other people and we need to ask for forgiveness, we need to do all these things, but we make up, we figure it out, because we're a family, right? The family of God, one faith, one baptism, one, one spirit that brings us together, that we can actually come and partake and eat together as a family does around the Christmas table and the Christmas feast or or whatever that might be, or your family dinners that you have in your home. People of all kinds of places and stages in life, children and elderly and together, the, the grandparents, the parents, the children come together and we eat together as a family. And I think that is so important to not lose t- sight of in this fast-paced, speedy, pressured world we live in today. To remind ourselves that as we come through all that we've experienced this last year of 2022, we come through everything that we've gone through, Can we find ourselves coming out of that edge of the wood, stepping into the sunlight of God where he is preparing for us as a host, a generous, blessed table of God? Not one that is forcing you to do more and pressure you to do this and change all the time, but a place of transformation, a place where the spirit of God can indwell you and transform you to become more and more like his son. We see certain things like in a glass dimly, but we are being transformed day in and day out to become more like Jesus. And it's at places like this where we are reminded that physically we partake together as a family and spiritually we're being transformed day in and day out by his spirit. I just ask you to receive of that. Receive of the gift, (laughs) the present, you know, Receive of the present of God's presence that you would be with him and you would allow him to dwell in you in such a way that transforms your living and the way you respond to the family of God around you. And I pray for, for you all this year in 2022 in that manner that we would allow the good shepherd to invite us to the table and we would come together and partake as one family. So let's, let's close in prayer. Father, we... We think of all that you've done and how this table is something we're gonna come together and physically partake of in a moment and yet help us not to lose sight of it. Lord, I know sometimes I rush into it or I rush through it. God, help me to remember communion and the Lord's Supper and all that it represents for us as a believer and as for a family. God, we need you this year. We need you every day, but Lord, especially as we think of well, all that 22 has in, in store for us Help us to follow you as the good shepherd. Help us to to trust in you. God, give us places of rest. Give us green pastures when we need it. Help us, Lord, to hold our hand, walk with us through those valleys of shadows of death when it's hard and difficult. God, we're trusting you. You lead us, you guide us. We place our faith in you, but there's no other place to turn. God, I pray that this time, this, this service, this day would be a time of glorifying you. God, for we can, we can sit at a table, partake of your grace, dwell in your mercy and your forgiveness, and then we can live a life of joy and abundance and overflowing of your blessing that you pour out on us. God, we thank you for that. We actually have a smile on our face because of that. We praise you and we sing your praises. So God, we are grateful for all of this and we ask that you'd be glorified. 
Jesus' name. Amen.